Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, age successfully, making your second half of life even better than the first. For many decades, the words work and office were virtually synonymous. But after two years of COVID-induced remote and hybrid work, one thing seems abundantly clear. The future of work is likely to be very different from the past. Many organizations are struggling to get employees back into the office after millions of workers left their jobs, some laid off, but many others looking for higher paying, more fulfilling jobs, as well as more flexible, balanced lifestyles. In today's episode, Professor Linda Gratton, a renowned thought leader and consultant on the future of work, talks about what she says is, quote, undoubtedly the greatest global shift in work for a century. Even as many of us enter the second half of our working lives, is there a chance to radically redesign the way we work? In her recently published book, Redesigning Work, Linda Gratton uses her 30 years of research into the technological, demographic, cultural, and social trends shaping work to present an innovative framework to help make hybrid work work for everybody. In today's conversation, Linda will examine several key questions facing hybrid work design. How do organizations design ways to boost creativity and productivity while also providing the flexibility that you and I crave? How do we determine when it's better for employees to work face-to-face and when is productivity actually enhanced through virtual design? And how do we create hybrid environments that work well for a range of employees and that people feel is fair and equitable over the long term? Linda, who founded London-based HSM Advisory over a decade ago, will also offer several prominent examples of forward-looking organizations that are successfully redesigning work that is more engaging, flexible, and ultimately more productive, no matter what stage you are in your career path. So now, it's my pleasure to welcome Linda, to our show. Welcome, Linda. Thank you, Ron. Yeah. As we were talking uh, at the beginning of of our conversation, just before the show started, um, I'm really pleased to have you on the show for several reasons, uh, including the fact that uh, when I started out my journalistic career at my uh, my former newspaper, um, that's where I started. I I was a business reporter, and, and they said, what do you want to cover and when they offered me the workplace, I said, yes, that's what I want to cover. That's what I find fascinating. So let me ask you then, uh, how did you come to focus on the issue of work and its future? <laughs> well, um, a number of routes, I guess, Ron. I mean, I, I actually did my PhD in psychology, but, but I, mm-hmm. I was really focusing more on, on personality rather than on work. But I was really fascinated by by work. I I, I'd always, I put myself through university as many of us did in my case it was working on a chocolate factory in a, in a on a wow. packing line i got really fascinated in work then um and and it just that fascination just stayed with me so uh really since since i i then worked went to work for british airways i worked for one of the big consulting practices before i joined london business school as a, as a young rookie professor mm. in my in my early 30s so, uh, yeah, it's, I've always been fascinated by work. And of course, as you say, Ron, um, something extraordinary has happened with the pandemic. And, you know, I don't think that work is ever going to be the same again. 
Yeah, talk about that a little bit more. So people people talk about that and clearly something is different. You know, you kind of look around and, and even if you aren't aware, even if you weren't aware of the pandemic, you would say something has happened here. Um, and you have a lot of experience. So you've been you know, looking at this um, issue for decades. So a lot of people, you know, sort of jump in and say, well, this is what's different, but you have a, a significant perspective. So talk a bit about how you think the pandemic, you know, has been, has been shaping work and will going forward. Well, I actually started something called the Future of Work Consortium more mm-hmm. than a decade ago, because I got a sense that those trends that you spoke of earlier, you know, the, the, the demography, the fact we're going to live longer. You remember, Ron, I wrote that book with Andrew Scott called The Hundred Year Life. Mm-hmm. Um, social trends, what's happening with families, and of course, technology, each one of those, I thought was already shaping work. So I was already really thinking about work long before the pandemic came. And so when that pandemic hit, I started keeping a diary. In fact, it's now on to, my goodness knows, I don't even know where I am with it now. It's, it's been, I think I'm, I think I must be, I think this is my 22nd volume. It's, wow. I've got a long diary. But at the same time, I, I have more than 40 companies who are on my future of work consortium. So I got a really close look at what was going on really from the very beginning, from those very first days. Um, I looked, for example, at how Fujitsu, a very traditional Japanese company where people always said, no, no, we have to work in the office. We can't work anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So important. Within a week of the COVID, they've moved 60,000 people out of Tokyo into their homes. But I'll tell you what's been really interesting, Ron, is that you know, each company seems to have gone through its own journeys, creating mm-hmm. its own signature. So I've seen a lot of variety about what organizations are doing. And, and I think that variety is important because it gives workers, people like you and I, an opportunity to choose the companies that most closely align to their own preferences. Right. Um, And of course, that's become even more important over the last six months because the war of talent is heating up. I hadn't expected that. I I think very few of us did, but it is. And so what leaders are now trying to do is to find some, some sort of balance between ways of working that both boost people's creativity and productivity, but also giving them the sort of product, the sort of flexibility that they that they crave right uh, and and of course you know we all want flexibility you know right. we want the opportunity to on a daily basis to sometimes stay at home and stay in our pajamas or you know spend right. a bit of more time with the kids but on a weekly basis we want the flexibility to be able perhaps to uh you know to, to do different things and on on if we take a bigger a longer perspective you know one of the right. things that we really noticed when we studied what happens when we all live longer, I'm, I'm 67, so I'm certainly very much part of that longer living lives. Right. It's that we, we have multi-stage lives. You know, it's not right. just simply full-time education, full-time work, full-time retirement. It becomes something a lot more complex and a lot more individual. And, and my hope and part of the reason why I, I wrote the book, Redesigning Work, is that I wanted to show people that there was an opportunity to be both productive, um, to be creative, and to be flexible. And I and I think, you know, given the trends that I've spoken about, particularly demography, all of us crave 
some sort of flexibility and some sort of autonomy yeah. to design work the way that we want it. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, certainly, and we'll get back to the pandemic in a minute, but I think that, you know, especially given your perspective, this is something that has been gradually, gradually uh, moving for many decades. And so I remember when I was started to cover these issues, one of my first articles was about um, video conferencing in the mid 1980s. And wow, this, whoa, we could get people all together and from different offices. And, you know, it was, there was, you know, there's satellite feeds and there were, it was a sort of a, these dramatic events. Mm. Um, and then in the later 80s, um, I started writing quite a bit about, you know, at, at that point, well, look, I mean, let's face it, uh, the, the entrance and the, I guess what I'd call sort of normalization of women at work um, uh, in the office and, and, and you know, in, in many offices, um, you know, raised the issue of, you know, work and family issues. And in those days, there was a sense of, uh, you know, so that was the beginning. We, well, we need more flexibility for again, this is going to really work. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, this, this trend has been going on for a while. And so the, and then there were issues of childcare, like, well, how do we deal with childcare? And now, of course, there's like elder care. So that's another dimension. Um, mm. But it does seem, as you have pointed out, that the pandemic has pushed things forward in a dramatic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about that a bit, you know, in terms of, you know, some people say, well, what things have advanced as quickly, if not for the pandemic? And oh, well, I, I think um, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really, really moved things on. I mean, you were speaking, Ron, a moment ago about technology. I think the view now from the technology companies is that it's moved people on at least five years not just in the development of technology, although that has definitely moved on, but also in our acceptance of using technology. Um, mm-hmm. I've been really sort of fascinated by some of the big um, consulting practices, for example, PwC or Accenture, who have over the last year or two during the pandemic really uh, embraced technology to such an extent that they're using the metaverse and virtual reality mm-hmm as a way of em- em bringing people into the organization so that when you join the organization, uh, your first experience meeting other people is to meet their avatars, not to meet right. them face to face. So, and I don't think that would have happened a couple of years ago. So there's been a huge push on technology and a real understanding that there's so much we can do at work using virtual reality using, uh, as we're doing now, Zoom or Microsoft uh, uh, tools and so on. I think the second thing that's been really pushed forward, Ron, is an idea that you don't need to be in the office to work. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago and he said, you know, Linda, the way we used to measure productivity, the way I I knew that you know, people were being productive as I just counted the number of cars in the car park coming Ah, in in the morning. And, you know, that was my measure of productivity. Well, you know, because we had nothing else, that's how lots of people measure productivity is are people sitting in the office. But of course, we always knew that that wasn't a great way of measuring productivity, but it was hard to think of any other way. And, And what's happened during the pandemic is as you know, people started working from home, they realized they could still be productive. They could still do work using virtual, you know, using these new technologies. They could still be really quite productive. 
But I think the third thing we realized, Ron, is that not all jobs are the same. Right. I was I was very much aware of this for myself, because whilst I was able to sit here in my lovely what is what was my dressing room, but is now my studio um, in Primrose Hill, which is just in the very center of of London and did all my work. I taught all my students. I did a whole MBA class virtually. My son, Dominic, who is a doctor was working on A&E for two years. He was an A&E doctor, uh, mm-hmm. that's accident and emergency in the UK. Well, he had to go to the hospital every day. There was no way that he could say, well, I'm, st- I'm working from home. Right. And I think, you know, what it really showed us is that there's a whole bunch of jobs, which were not jobs that were dependent on place. And then we had to start thinking about time. So right. quite early on in the pandemic, I wrote an article that which then became the cover article of Harvard Business Review called Doing Hybrid Right. And in it, I said, look, you know, let's be very cautious about thinking that this is all about flexibility around place. It's We've also got to realize that there's a whole bunch of people who have no flexibility about where they work. Right. And for that, that group, we've got to speak about when people work. So we have to think about time and place. And that, for me, was one of the first, you know, contributions I think theoretically I made mm-hmm. to this art, to this conversation that's going on, which is to say, it's about time as well as place. I have to say, I'm pretty disappointed that two years in, most CEOs are still talking about place. They're still saying, should we be in the office or should we be at home? And honestly, Ron, I don't think that's the question they should be asking. The question they should be asking is, how do we help people be more productive and more creative? Absolutely. I think that if you focus on what are we trying to accomplish, what are our goals? Um, You know, this came up uh, for me uh, a couple of months ago when an organization that I served on was serving on their board, uh, like companies, you know, they went all, you know, Zoom, you know, everything was Zoom. We couldn't come in. There were lots of issues about, you know, safety in in their space. And then, you know, the, the, then the issue came about, okay, as things open up again, what should we do? And um, my response was, well, it depends what we are, what we're doing. <laughs> I said, and, and you've talked about this too, in terms of, well, what is the task we're trying to accomplish? And there are certain tasks that people are realizing that, um, that they can be done virtually. Uh, other tasks, different kinds of tasks are better done face-to-face. But in fact, some other tasks or can be even more productive and more efficient um, uh, virtually or done from home, you know, when they mm-hmm. require focus and concentration and lack of distractions. So, so yeah. talk about that in terms of place and flexibility. Well, well, well thanks, Ron. I mean, one of the, when I, when I wrote uh, the book, Redesigning Work, I had to decide where to start. You mm-hmm. know, when you write a book, you always have to think about where do you start? And, and at that stage, and still now, people were starting by asking the question, what do people want? Mm-hmm. And, and I never thought that was, the, that was the opening question. And it certainly isn't the opening question in the book. For me, the opening question in the book is, what is it that you do? Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at a job or if you're doing, if our listeners are doing a job where being focused is very important, I have a, a, a job that's about focus. I basically am a writer. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the most important thing is not place. It doesn't really matter where I write. It's time. I must be undisturbed. I need at least, you know, three minutes, three hours 
of undisturbed time every single day to be productive. So that's very important. But for some people, it's all about collaboration. You know, they've got to be talking to other people and they can do that either, you know, on Zoom or they can do it asynchronously. They don't always have to be connected. And then others still really want to be face to face. You know, they have jobs where it's really important that they've got somebody else in the office that they can talk to. And really understanding those different types of jobs, I think is going to be crucial. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, that um, when I was engaged in this previous conversation too, about what is it we want to do? My uh, conclusion was, well, when we as a group need to work through um, uh, a complex problem, you know, that requires a lot of collaboration, a lot of, you know, back and forth conversation, probably better face to face, you know, uh, but there are many situations when, um, you know, when, when, when there were fairly routine meetings, when we just had to go through things and we had to vote on things and, and make decisions about things, there were, there, we, were, we were board members, so a lot of things were done by staff, so we were just approving things. It was really convenient to do that via Zoom, you know, um, because, you know, especially as you go through the winter, <laughs> you know, uh, there's their weather issues, their commuting issues. Um, and in, in a way, this makes things um, uh, more, in, well, more inclusive too. If someone, you know, has a sudden situation and they can't get there, um, you have that opportunity to have a hybrid, you know, um, yeah. conversation. That yeah. it, it's quite effective. Um, so. Um, but, what, uh, but one word of warning yeah, on that. Yeah. Ron. Uh, just to just to remind us that the number of meetings that we've we're having has gone up by fifty percent. Ah. So don't always, you know, don't always press the Zoom button when in fact you could just send an email right. or not talk to anyone at all. So we are. It's becoming the default way of working is is actually having these sort of meetings, and and I'm very much worried about that and concerned that we do need to ask ourselves. Do I have to talk to this person on a right. on a Zoom or on a Microsoft, you know, platform? platform. Yeah. Or yeah. could I just send them an email, or could I speak to them on the telephone, or not do anything at all? Right. Right. Yeah. I think that that certainly, you know, there's a term that come up as you know Zoom fatigue, right? And I think that's a reality. Um, yeah. So uh, we're, we're going to take a, a quick break from Zoom right now. <laughs> we just uh, we just need to take a break, um, it, but it's a short break, so. Folks, um, we'll be talking much more with Linda Gratton, so don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. 
The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking today with Linda Gratton about the changing design of the workplace as we emerge from the pandemic. Uh, Linda is the author of 10 books, including the most recently published Redesigning Work. Uh, and her 10 books have sold over a million copies and translated, been translated into more than 15 languages. So before the break, we were talking to Linda about um, a number of issues about work. And one of the things that I wanted to talk to her about is some of the, the obstacles of, about redesigning work is, and some you know, with, with validity, is the perception of fairness about you know, who gets to work from home, who gets to work virtually, who doesn't. Um, and how do you address in consulting with companies? How do you how do you talk to them about addressing this issue? Well, I think that fairness is a really important question, Ron, because what we know is that if we feel that we've been treated unfairly, then it affects our feeling of general happiness. It affects mm-hmm. how engaged we are with our organization. And importantly, it affects our relationships with each other. And so one of the counsels that I've made when I've been advising companies about how they think about hybrid is to put fairness right at the center. And in fact, you'll see in the book, uh, Redesigning Work, which by the way, Ron, you can also download as a, uh, an audio book with oh. me reading it. First Excellent. time I've ever read one of my Excellent. books. I have Excellent. to tell you the last time. <laughs> it's a very, very time consuming process. Anyway, I, I, I really, I think I've got a whole sort of chapter on fairness. And, and here's the point that, you know, there's a great deal of variety between jobs. So we, fairness isn't the same as saying everybody's equal. We, we can't right. say that because jobs aren't equal. We, we have right. to acknowledge that. But what we can do is to treat people in a fair way. How do we do that? Well, there's a few things that we can think about. The first is, that we can acknowledge that there are differences and see whether something works for one type of job that doesn't for another. So for example, it may be that one of the jobs, the group of jobs in your company, there can be no, people can't work from home. But perhaps what you could do in, is to give them more flexibility around the time they work. Think mm-hmm. more about more creatively about the scheduling. So for example, we've been looking at companies where they've adopted a four-day working week, companies where they're uh, um, enabling people to, to be much more flexible about how, when they work. So, so that's one important aspect. The second important aspect of fairness, and actually the most, the most crucial, is the way that people, the way that your manager talks to you about it. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what's called um, interactional justice, that you feel that you've been treated in, in, in a fair way and in a good way. So, so, so the outcome is important, but also the, the way that you're treated. And so one of the things that we're realizing about the impact of the pandemic 
is that the manager, your manager, some of you may be managers yourself or leaders yourself, plays such a crucial role in supporting people, listening to them and helping them uh, work in a way that they believe is fair with regard to others. And so this, this capacity of the manager to be empathic and to listen to people has come up as one of the most important aspects of where the people have felt they've been treated fairly. Right. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit of experience of this when, when I was, uh, you know, a manager in the early nineties and um, it, it, it wasn't, it was an interesting lesson. I mean, so I over, I was a supervising group of, um, uh, of, of reporters um, and it just was that, that time of, of in our generation cycle when a lot of my female reporters were having children. And so I, you know, I tried to work out flexible work schedules, again, focusing on, well, what, what are the articles? What's our goals here? What, what's, what's the, um, the focus on productivity here and what the expectations are. Um, and so I, I worked out a flexible work schedule for a number of them. Um, and uh, my, my error, though, was that I was trying to do this alone as a manager, a supervisor. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happened was um, after several months of successfully doing this, um, it was shut down because it was mm-hmm. perceived as unfair to other employees mm-hmm. who had to work in, mm-hmm. and do their writing from the office. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it was successful, but I think the mistake was that it needs to be there needs to be a broader discussion about this, you know, across the organization. Yes. Right? And actually, yeah, one of the things that we're doing, you mentioned earlier that I founded and now run an advisory company called HSM that works all over the world, mm-hmm. actually. But but part of the, the what we're doing at the moment is to engage employees in conversations about what it is they want, what they believe to be fair, and actually to, to be upfront about some of the difficulties that, that they face. And of course, technology allows you to do that. Uh, sometimes, you know, with great large numbers of people, we've been running these jams, as we call them, where for, for 36 hours, people have a chance to talk to each other with up to 50,000 people in some wow. countries. Yeah, so there's there's all sorts of, you know, very exciting ways at the moment to get people to talk about what is it I want? What am I? What do I care for? About what? What am I prepared to give up? What are the red lines? So, so one of the questions we always ask of senior executives is, what are your red lines? I mean, what are the things that, you know, when we redesign work, you, you cannot get past these lines. So, one CEO said to us from the a, a company called Sage, that's a, um, that designs, uh, you know, it's a B two B design of, of complex programs. They said. The CEO said, well, the red line is, it's got to be something that makes customers happier. Oh. And if if we redesign, you know, work in a way that dissatisfies our customers, we have to pull it out. That, that for me is the red line. It's got mm-hmm. to improve our customer experience. And I thought that was great that he said that because he just said, you know, you can play around and we can come up with some great ideas. And I will always say yes to them unless I feel or unless it's shown to reduce the customer experience, in which case it's not going to happen. It's not going to fly. So those sorts of red lines, another company, another CEO said to us, 
you know, for us working cooperatively, working as a team is absolutely part of our culture. So when we think now about redesigning work, it has to build stronger teams. We're mm -hmm. not prepared to redesign work in a way that creates more atomistic, you know, working practices where people don't see each other, aren't, aren't related, where relationships start to atrophy. So working out what's really important for you, what those red lines are, what your principles are. I think it's a very important conversation to be having. Right, right. Another question I had for you is just in terms of, of doing uh, hybrid work well, is that it requires, um, I think, some training and at least some education and at least some discussion about how to do it. Uh, you know, I recall when I was doing um, some work for the university um, in New York City, the, the city university. Um, uh, this was, I guess, around 2011. So it's a good ways away, earlier. Uh, but they were just starting to, to um, do online learning, you know, uh, uh, hybrid learning. And uh, at least initially there, I think, again, they focus on, well, why are we doing this? Um, it wasn't just as an, an you know, economic measure to save money, uh, but it was, uh, they wanted to do initially to basically experiment with students um, who you know, were just a few credits short and how would they get them to just finish their degrees, you know, given the, the complexity and difficulty of family life and children and so forth. Yeah. And so they devised this, but, but they required the faculty who were doing it to be trained in how to do it well. And I think that that's, that's an issue too with, uh, with I think, um, whether it's in university or, or classes or whether it's at work is how do people do this well as opposed to just slapping things online? You know, yeah, um, I, I think that's right. And, and actually, I wrote two Harvard Business Review articles about this. The first one was about doing hybrid, right? And the second one, which I wrote with Diana Gerson, who just recently stepped down from IBM, but is now a, a, um, an assistant professor at Harvard Business School, about managers and about the training of managers. And what we said is that it's not just training managers, but it's also taking, taking stuff off their plate. Because one of the things that, that Diane, as a practicing leader, saw at IBM is that we were just asking managers to do more and more stuff Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, and then at the very end during hybrid, we also said, oh, by the way, can you talk to everybody on a one-to-one -one basis? And can you understand them? And can you, can you be empathic? And quite a lot of managers said, hey, hang on, stop. I, I have too much to do. I, I, can't, right. I can't possibly do this. So it's also about redesigning work and taking, taking, taking work off their plate so that you can mm. actually, managers can really focus on, What's the most important thing for me to do right now? And 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 they, and they have two jobs. Part of some of which is about managing people, and part is about managing the the work itself. And actually, one of the companies that we talked about, um, uh, the Amer the Australian telecoms company Telstra, mm -hmm. they actually separate those jobs out completely. Mm. So they have a manager of, of, of people who's there to be empathic, to listen, to help people with their careers, but also a manager of work who does the workflow, the, re the design of work, the design of projects. And that strikes me as being a really interesting way forward because one thing that we've learned is that, that the, the manager's skills to manage, to manage hybrid are much more sophisticated than normal managerial skills. For example, 
they have to learn how to make team agreements, which mm-hmm. lots of managers, they have to learn about how to schedule work. They have to learn about how to work, how to run virtual teams. And these are things that, and virtual projects, these are things that are, are, are very skillful. So, so we have to upskill our managers to be able to do that. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, in, in my early experience, I mentioned, you know, I was just in the beginning aspect of, of this uh, flexible work scheduling. And as you were talking, I was recalling myself, yeah, it was a lot more work for me. <laughs> you yeah. know, I felt, I felt good about it. I felt it really, it, it helped my team maintain uh, its, its productivity, you know, and there was no diminishment in that, but it was, it was more work, you know, it, it, <laughs> it did require paying yeah. attention a lot more. Um, mm. um, so do you think that, um, you know, that, Obviously, there are lots of uh, potential benefits um, uh, for this kind of um, redesign. Um, and yet there's always, you know, as we go forward, there's always sort of back and you know, dialectical back and forth. So do you think there's going to you know, be any kind of pushback as we go forward? Then people are going to, as things, you know, um, get back to normal, whatever that normal is, that people are going to, there's going to be some reversion to like, okay, things are that. No, no, you know, this was a good experiment. Let's go back to the, the office. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's well, I think we're watching that with a great deal of interest. One of the analogies I made in the book, Redesigning Work, is freeze, unfreeze, refreeze, in the sense that mm. before the pandemic, companies were frozen. I don't mean by that they were cold or, or, <laughs> or frigid, but rather they were set in their ways, and rightly so. You, you know, I, I think a a dose of bureaucracy is, is a good thing. It, it means everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But, but there's been a, a real unfreeze. You know, people questioned assumptions. They learned new habits. They said, well, why am I, why, why am I going into the office? Why do I commute? Um, I like to spend time with my family. I've learned how to use n- new technologies and so on. So we're now in the refreeze stage where an organizations are coming back together and trying to work out, well, what, what is it now? I don't think there's any chance of going back to the unfreeze. It would be like saying to a snowflake, you've melted, now go back to being a snowflake again. <laughs> I mean, it's a different structure. So I think the, the idea that somehow you can just go back to where you were, it's not that the, the river has moved on. It's, it's not going to happen. So I think the best leaders are leaders, the ones I admire right now, are basically saying, we don't know where we're, what the end result is, but we want to experiment. And, and they're moving into an experimental mindset and really, you know, trying things out. For example, you know, I said earlier in, the U, in Europe right now, a whole bunch of companies are working with scholars at Oxford and Cambridge University to say, well, would the four-day week work? I mean, mm. you know, let's, let's, let's find out whether it works or not and experimenting with that. Others are saying, well, you know, perhaps we could, um, perhaps we could work from home or work from another country for, a, a, you know, a period of time. So these are all experiments, and and I don't think we're anywhere near the end. I've been thinking about this. Uh, it's sort of, you know, series two, episode three, <laughs> and you know, there might be another series, and there sure is the hell going to be more more episodes. And so to think that, well, this is all finished now, it's just as it's not, it's not the case. There's a lot of, we've still got a lot to learn. We've still got a lot, a lot to experiment with. 
you know, the labor market's changing. You know, mm -hmm. there was a war for talent, but we've now moving into a period probably of high inflation, and that's going to change the dynamics again. So there's a lot in play at the moment. And I think the smartest leaders are those who say, we, we want, you know, a, an overall purpose, but at the same time, we need to experiment and we need to learn what work could be. This is a great time to redesign work. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you, do you sense that there, is, um, there are differences um, generationally or is it now, um, is it, uh, uh, it, does it cross generations or does it affect people differently at different points in their career? Well, you know, I think that there are, I think the biggest, the biggest difference is not so much generations, but life stages. I so, see. you know, if you're the group, I think we're, that we're most concerned about are people who joined the workforce during the pandemic, you know, people in their 20s. I talked to the, a CEO. In fact, I was teaching a CEO this afternoon. I taught a class at London Business School this afternoon. And um, and, he, and, and he was saying, we're having a much higher turnover of that group. And we think it's because they came in just working with, with Zoom on each other, with each other. They don't really understand what the company is. They haven't made any, you know, big friendships. Do you remember that, 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 you know, you stay at a company because you've got a friend at work. Right. And so they haven't really built friendships. So I think the group that we need to focus on the mo most are, are young people now. And that's because when you think back to your own formative years, and I certainly do this with myself, those first couple of years in work are really important. It's when you make friends, it's when you understand what work's about. So for people who've done that during the pandemic, it's been a different experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that that group is a group where certainly what we're seeing, and it'd be interesting to see if, you're, if your listeners are feeling the same, people want to get back into the office. You know, mm -hmm. they, they're, they're often living in small apartments, maybe shared apartments, they, they want to be, you know, around their, their colleagues. It's the, it's the older ones, often the more experienced ones, who are happy working from home because they know how to do it. They've made all their friendships. They can phone up and say, you know, Ron, could you tell me about X? And they know who Ron is. Right. So there, is, there are differences. I wouldn't say they're generational differences, Ron, but I would say they're differences in life stage. Right. Oh, but, and, of course, what we've also learned is the over 60s haven't come, haven't come back to work. Very disappointing because one of the things we've said in the 100-year life is you need to be prepared to work into your 70s. Right. And lots of people uh, haven't come back. The, the, group that's, the, the two groups who haven't come back to full-time work are women with young children mm -hmm. and uh, people over the age of 60. Um, and I think that's a shame. I think those of you who are listening over the age of 60, get back to work. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. So that's something I'd like to follow up with a bit more, but uh, we're coming up to another break. Um, so we're going to take another short break, but when we come back, uh, we're going to pick up much more with Linda Grattan. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. 
This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waist, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Linda Gratton, the author of Redesigning Work and a well-renowned um, expert in uh, the future of work. So before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, uh, not so much generationally, but you know how people respond to the redesigned workplace depending upon their stages in life. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting observation. And I think that that's... Um, something worth uh, talking a bit more about. And, and, and especially since our show is 45 forward, um, you know, the, the, the issue of people over 60 or older workers not returning to work. Yeah. So uh, talk to me about that, Linda, about are there ways, are there incentives that employers can get people back to work and, and also just, you know, self-incentives for, for why you should do that, why you should think about it. And maybe, um, you know, you should, you know, again, if you don't think about it as well, I'm returning to the office, but am I, am I redesigning my work, as you put it? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the best way for uh, companies to entice the over 60s back to work is to make work more flexible. And, and by mm -hmm. the way, that's true for every age group. Actually, the person, the group who needs flexibility the, are the most are the people with young kids. That's that's okay. the real crunch. Those are the real crunch years, as you know, Ron. You know, when you're bringing up young children, and, and anyone who's seen that themselves or seen it with, in my case, I see it with my with my with my my children and my grandchildren. Just what a crunch that's been. But but by the time people are in their sixties, um, I think that flexibility is really important because many of us want to continue to make a contribution at work. I know some of you might be thinking, well, you know, I'm a blocker. 
don't, don't, don't think that way. It's the, the evidence is that actually companies need more people over 60, not less. They add new ideas. They add wisdom. They're often great mentors and coaches. I, I noticed for myself, Ron, that even today I was coaching one of my colleagues at, at London Business School, one of the young professors, and saying, you know, I, I, I'm, I'll happily share all of my ideas about this with you. I would never have done that 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was far too competitive. And so I think that we, you know, as you age, we need to acknowledge that there are things about us that's incredibly beneficial to companies that we can give. And that companies also need to acknowledge that people want to give, but they might just not want to do it in the way that they always did. So, you know, working four days a week, let's say, or, or taking sabbaticals or work or, 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 or job share, which is something I love. I mm. love the idea of job share where two of you do it rather than one. So find somebody that you could job share with and go to a company and say, look, here we are. We can job share. Um, would you like us? And in this tight labor market, I think you'll be surprised how many companies say, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree totally with you about breaking the stereotypes. And, um, you know, I think that's that's really important. Uh, I think there's a stereotype about, you know, um, uh, seniors, however, however you define that word, using technology. It's like, well, people can't use technology. And, and I look at them and say, well, I'm a senior. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it's, it's not about, it is not about your age. It's about, you know, willingness to do things and, you know, just as a as an aside, one of a series that I watched years ago. I don't know if it's if it's it shows up again, but it was called New Tricks, and I just love this show. I think it came out of the UK. It was a a show about retired detectives who were basically <laughs> sitting around, and they were rehired to um uh to for to solve cold cases that no one wanted to do, and and they came in because. There's nothing to lose, and they uh, tried new ideas, new ways of solving cases, and they often were successful. But so that I, I love the idea of new tricks and the fact that you know mm. older employees can can think creatively when they feel in some cases, well, there's less risk. I can really try something. Yeah. Um, and um, so I think that 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 part of the issue is I I do think there are you know as we talked earlier about that there is a, a, you know just a recognition that. Um, it's important to know and be um, uh, trained about how to use technology well, but that doesn't apply just to older people. It applies to everybody, you know. Because yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really, I really rise against generational stereotypes, and that's partly because they are stereotypes. You know, just because I'm 67, it doesn't mean I'm the same as everybody else who's 67. Uh, in everything I do, you know, I'm me. And I think that when we talk about each other, we just need to just realize that everybody is themselves. Um, we're not all the same. Right. Uh, right. Just because we're of the same age, just because, and I would say the same about gender, we're not all the same just because we happen, all, in my case, to be a woman. So, right. so I think one needs to be thoughtful about that and, and yeah. realize that people have different needs and aspirations. Yeah. I think one of the... Um... The worries that we have sort of generally, and, and you've talked about this as well, is just in terms of redesigning work that one of the wild cards is sort of automation, which has been, mm. you know, a different, you know, take on technology, but it has had an impact. And, and I think um, people do worry about being replaced. Um, 
and uh, are they doing jobs that soon will be obsolescent? You know, so uh, yeah. Talk to me about a little bit about how you think about automation and, and the role of technology. That yeah, way. well, that's one of you know the, the the three trends that I look at with, with mm-hmm. in detail. One is demography, right. uh, particularly to do with what happens when everybody lives to a hundred. One yeah. is family structures. You know what happens when most women work, and then the third is technology, which is what happens when you know robots and artificial intelligence, machines, in other way, in other words, do more and more of our work. In general, that's a positive uh, upbeat. It's not, it's not a negative because mm-hmm. what machines do tend to do is they tend to do the routine part of your job, the bit that's really not that interesting anyway. Um, m- machines don't do creative work. They, they're not empathic. You might think that when you're talking to a machine, it cares for you. It doesn't. It's a machine. It's got no empathy at all. It's just a program. Uh, the only people, the only things that em- are empathic are other human beings. So there's so much that we can we can do as humans that machines can't do, but but that requires us to write across our life to upskill and reskill. You know, to c- because as machines do re- routine things, what they what we as humans need to do is to do the more skillful things, and that might be being more skillfully cooperative or creative or being more skillfully empathic or being more skillfully listening. So those we have to up upskill ourselves. And part of the reason why I think it's so important that we use this time now to redesign work to be more flexible is it gives us more time to learn, you know, adult learning is going to be so important for us. And it's not just about learning a new language or learning to, you know, a, to use a new technology. It's really importantly learning new social skills and right. learning, you know, new ways of making decisions, new ways of, of, of making judgments. And that's got to be something that all of us are able to embrace and invest in whatever age we are. Right. Uh, we don't have that much more time, but I do want to touch on your other uh, topic that you've, you've covered quite in depth and perhaps we'll do a whole other show on this, but, um, uh, and, and that is just the, the impact of longevity, you know, on, on work. Um, so you touched on this a little bit earlier and there are different stages of life, but perhaps a couple more thoughts on, you know, how the hundred year life, you know, uh, has an impact on the way we work. Well, the, 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 there's two, when Andrew Scott is an economist, I'm a psychologist, and we wrote this book, A Hundred Year Life, which has been a really successful book. You know, it became the best-selling book in Japan. It's been translated mm-hmm. into many languages. Um, and there's two things, looking back on it and thinking, well, what really came out of that book? Two things came out. Number one, uh, the idea that we now have multi-stage lives, the idea mm-hmm. that this, you know, three-stage life, full-time full-time education full-time work full-time retirement isn't going to hold we've got to be much more flexible second thing that came out is the importance of intangible assets the idea that you know it's it is wise and good to save financially to save tangible assets but Mm -hmm. honestly the thing that really makes a difference to a long life is intangible assets things like your health uh, things like the amount that you're able to, uh, to to learn, things like your friendships and your relationships. These are intangible things, things that money can't buy and things that require you to make investments. You know, if 
I, I wanted to be, I, I've been trying over the last four years to be healthier. That takes, a, a, you know, an hour every day. You know, every, every day right. I try and walk 10,000 steps I did today, but it takes me an hour to do that. So right. it's an investment. So you have to really invest in yourself, in your health, in, in learning new things, invest in friendships. That's what really came out. Those two things came out for me most powerfully as Andrew Scott and I asked the simple question, what happens when we all live to 100? Right, right. I think people are starting to catch on. I certainly, I, I when I talk to financial advisors these days, they, you know, and, and people, uh, they're, they're, they say people's worry is that they're going to outlive their money. Um, so they, they do, I think many advisors are now planning when they set out a plan, they plan to a hundred, you know, and um, that's very wise to do yeah, that. And yeah. also, frankly, to try and plan to be still earning into your, into your seventies. Right. Right. That's I, another very good plan. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad we, you know, and as I said, I think um, we could do a whole other show on just, you know, I, I, I remember reading a book um, years ago by a man named Robert Butler. I think it was called the longevity revolution. So, um, you know, it's, we're there. It's not coming. We're there. We're, we're there. Right. We're there. Yeah. So, well, listen, you, you, Linda, you've been a terrific guest and I really appreciate these great insights. And I know there's much more to talk about, but um, before we end the show, perhaps you could just uh, let people know if people want to get in touch with you or uh, sure. How, well, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, well, I have a, a wonderful website, www.lindagratton, L-Y-N-D-A, Gratton, G-R-A-T-T-O-N. And you'll find lots of resources, including a, a wonderful blueprint that you can download to help you think about redesigning work. And you'll see there's a form there to get in touch with me. So right. very happy for people to do that. But do take a look at that uh, at my website because it does have a lot of resources in it. Yeah, and you've got you've done a lot of uh, you know very um, insightful articles, and uh, you've done some great presentations on YouTube, which I've taken a look at as well. So, folks should take a look at that as well. Um, so, lindagratton.com, L-Y-N-D-A, G-R-A-T-T-O-N.com. That's it. Okay. So, right. fo folks, uh, again, um, if you missed my conversation today with Linda Gratton. Uh, you can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com or, or, and just uh, search for my, for my show, 45 Forward. You can find it on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or go to my website, Roel Resources. That's R-O-E-L resources.com and click on the 45 Forward tab and you can uh, listen to Linda there as well. Um, so be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time. I know that's July 4th but you can sit back and relax and listen to a special encore show with um, Carly Roman. She's a young dynamic gerontologist who talks about how you can create pragmatic programs that benefit older adults and transform our age silos into enriching experiences for all ages. So until that folks keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.